0: not about becoming less, it's about becoming more. And that's really what uh, these four lessons are about. It's about uh, helping you as men in particular, but us as a church to look at our God-given masculinity, whether that's in me as a man or as a lady, if you're looking at the men around us, just really the the what, what does our church want, what does God want for our church and we as a church want for our men? And we talked about that we want to, and so, you know, man up, man up. What's that mean? That's what we're talking about. And today, Dad, we're, I want to talk to you specifically. Dad, it's time to man up. And in your notes, a uh, definition that we gave last week, you know, what are we talking about when we talk man up? Uh, uh, our culture has a lot of different things to say about it. But here's a simple definition that I think you can get your, your head around, your heart around, and you can even uh, pray through and pray over. And it's this, masculinity is the courage to man up and be the man God created you to be and Christ saves you to become. So God created you for something, and don't get frustrated because Christ has saved you to become this very thing. So that offers hope. It offers a plan and a purpose. And and, uh, I saw a quote, and I think I shared it on my Facebook page this week. I don't want my children to be what I want them to be. I want them to become everything God created them to be. Isn't that a great statement? Dads, isn't that good? I don't want my children to be what I want them to be. I want them to become everything God created them to be. And and that quote by John Gordon, we can all relate to that. But as I read that, I said, as good as that is, here's the reality. If you're going to take that off the page or off of a a, a great quote and put it into the hearts of your children, then for that to happen, you've got to become... The man God created you to be. You've got to be that man so that you can show your kids and help your kids become all that God created them to be and Christ saves them to be. So, our definition, it is the courage to take the initiative. And if you said, Chris, what's masculinity in one word? I would say it's that. Initiative. And femininity, in one word, is responsiveness. And you put those two together, and you become one, and you make an impact on your world, your culture, your family, your church for Jesus Christ. So it's the courage to take the initiative to lead, love, provide, and protect others with the character. It's based in character, God-given character that is required by God, supplied by God for His glory and the good of others and especially when it comes to us men, the others, is women, children, and the local church. That's what a man ought to be there to provide for, protect for. That's what you're become, That's why you're manning up. It's for women, particularly your woman. It's for children, particularly your children. And it's for the local church and the body of Christ, particularly this church. And we said the one verse, and the verse that we taught on last week, that if you wanted one verse, men, that you want to memorize, and you want to pray, and ladies, you want to pray for your men, First Corinthians 16, 13-14 is a great one. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Well, we're taking all of that and focusing on dads this morning. Dads, we're going to talk about what I believe is the number one mistake that most dads, and parents in general, but we're looking at dads, that most dads make, and many times we don't even realize we're making it until it's too late. I think it's the number one mistake, and I'm going to show why I think it is, based on the Bible. Now, I've already talked about dads enough that some of you are tuning out. Why? Because you're not a dad. Now, first of all, some of you dads are tuning out, and I don't think very many of you. You're like, well, I've already done that. Been there, done that. You know, and and, and you're right, some of you could probably teach the lesson better, that's fine, but I think those of you that have your kids that that are raised now at home realize that the role of dad is not far, is far from over. It is changing perhaps even more difficult, and I think you may be, I don't know, I'm not where you're at yet, but you may be more prone to make this mistake as an ad, as a father to adult children than you are even to younger children. So, don't tune out on that. The rest of you that aren't dads, don't tune out either, and here's why. First of all, single moms, you're as prone to make this mistake as a dad is. So, as a single mom, in fact, as a single mom, you're representative, in a sense, of the role of the father in that home. And so so you pay attention. And then husbands and wives, this mistake isn't just a mistake that's made from dads to children. It's a mistake that we can make as a wife to our husband, as a husband to our wife. And in general, it's it's, it's it's something that we can do in our relations. It's a mistake that, it's a relational mistake. So there's application for all of us, but I am zeroing in on dads. So what's the greatest mistake most dads make often without realizing it, the greatest mistake most dads make is provoking their children. It is provoking their children. And the reason I say that is right there before you in Ephesians 6-4. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6-4. And in in Ephesians 6-4 we have kind of one of those verses that if you said, what's the one verse that I ought to memorize as a parent? Dad, mom, it doesn't matter. Single, married, divorced, it doesn't matter. As a parent, what is what? What is where does the Bible cap, uh, summarize and capture in essence everything there is about parenting in one verse? As much as you can do that in one verse, it's right here. Ephesians six four knows what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a negative, don't provoke. There's a positive, bring them up in the instruction. This is a four-week series, one series on dads. We're focusing on the first part of the verse, and uh, and, and, at other times we've taught on the whole verse. I want you to look. Do not provoke your children. Here's one verse, and he says one thing, dads. If there's one thing, I'm sitting with the Apostle Paul at Starbucks, and I'm saying, Paul, tell me everything there is to know about parenting, which, by the way... He may not even have been a parent, may not even have been married, but he's inspired. He's an apostle. What would God say to me? And here's what God would say. Dad, don't provoke your kids to anger. And he says it twice, because over in Colossians 3.21... Uh, as he wrote Ephesians, or as he wrote Colossians, and, and the ink dried on one letter, he started writing the other letter. So anytime you study something in one of these books, you always want to look for the parallel verse, because you put them together, you've got the full picture. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, and there it is again, in the ESV, do not provoke your children. Some say exasperate, embitter, aggravate. Irritate, you get the idea, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So here we have two times in Scripture, the greatest mistake, I believe, that most parents, it, especially dads, what's it beginning? Fathers, don't provoke your kids. Don't provoke your kids. I want to ask this morning four basic questions to help us apply the principle of these two verses. Four questions that will help us avoid making this mistake. Here's the first one. Who's being addressed? Who is being addressed? Well, I would say to you, dads as the head of the home. Dads as the head of the home are being addressed. Notice what it says. Fathers. Now, in these verses, look right before this. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6, Ephesians 6. Turn your Bibles. Make sure they're open. take Take a look at your Bible. It says, children, obey your what? Your parents, okay? And it says, honor your father and your mother. That's in verses 1 and 2. But when you come down to verse 4, it says fathers. A different word there than parents. In fact, one commentator said this is the only place in Scripture that fathers are directly addressed in Scripture. So I believe what, what he's talking to is not just fathers alone, but then it's not parents as equals. Some some Bibles will translate this parents and, and that's not the word. It's the word for fathers. But, but I think it's more. It's fathers as heads of the home. As heads of the home. And what do I mean by that? The father is the one who is the representative, God-ordained head of the home. So dads, in other words, let me put it in what I said last week. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, dads, you're the You're the man. You're the man. Make sure that your kids aren't provoked in your home. It applies to you moms as well. You need to work together, but dads, it's your responsibility. Make sure you're not provoking your kids. Make sure your wife isn't provoking your kids. Dads, the buck stops with you. You're the man. This is your responsibility. Don't let your children be provoked. Number two, why are dads being addressed? Well, I've given you the answer already. You're the man. Why your dad's being uh, uh, addressed? You're the man, or you could put in there, you're the difference maker in your home because you're the man. You're the difference maker. The buck stops with you, and change begins with you. And so, what? Here, here's the principle that I want you to get, and it's it's there. You you either drive your kids away from you, you either drive your kids away from you. And your God, or you draw your kids to you and your God. Think about it this way: the idea of provoking. You know, first of all, what's that mean? Well, you know, we'll talk a little more about it here in a few moments. But I just always think of your dog. You think, you know, your dog. You can do two things to your God. You, you can provoke your dog to jump in your lap, lick you, and and uh, be cuddly with you. Or, and this is something us guys do with our dogs, you can provoke your dog to do what. To, to fight and bite and grab. You ever done that? You know how to put, you know, another way of saying provoking is pushing buttons. You know how to push someone's buttons? And you can do that in a positive way or a negative way. Just like you can make a dog get all excited and wag his tail and love you or get all feisty with you and growl and fight. You can also push someone's buttons to either provoke love and good works or you can provoke anger and resentment. So here's the deal. What am I doing in my home to either drive my kids away, provoking them away, or drawing them closer to me and my God, provoking love in them? What am I doing? You're the difference maker. Now, what makes the difference? Number three, third question. What makes the difference? Well, in Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.21, what makes the difference is don't what? Don't provoke your children. That makes the difference. Don't provoke them in a negative way. So let's look at this. Ephesians 6.4 is slightly different in tone and in result than Colossians 3.21. So I want to briefly show you that. First of all, let's focus in on Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Here's what it means. Don't provoke them to angry rebellion. Don't provoke them to angry rebellion by how you raise them, or if they are raised, how you relate to them now that they're adults. Okay? And it, it, it's, it, it's not an either or, it's a both and. As you're raising them, you're relating them. Having raised them, you still relate to them. Don't provoke them to angry rebellion. Now, this word provoke to anger, I think I gave you the Amplified Bible, really draws it out. Fathers do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resent. I like how the NLT paraphrases it. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Now this word provoke to anger is used in a passing sense in Ephesians 4.26. You might just flip back there a couple pages. Ephesians 4.26. This idea of provoking to anger is one word in the original languages. It's one word And it's passively used in 426 where it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So, this expression, provoke to anger, is one word and it applies to every kind of anger from silent fuming to indignant outbursts to full fledged rebellious rage. The reality is, our kids express anger differently. Do you agree? Those of you born one kid? They express their anger differently, but they all get angry. Okay, so don't think, oh, this one is acting out, therefore they're angry, and this one's quietly fuming. They're not angry. No, they are both angry. Okay, but the emphasis, I think, here is that acting out. It's that angry rebellion. So here's a couple questions regarding Ephesians 6.4, practical things. What am I stirring up in my kids? What am I stirring up? Is it anger or love? As in Hebrews ten twenty four, where it says, "Stir up or provoke one another to love and good works." Single moms, what am I provoking in my kids as a mom? Married couples, what am I stirring up in my spouse as a husband or wife? It, is, am, am I seeing angry rebellion? Is it because something I'm doing? That's the question we should be asking now. The idea here of angry rebellion, I want you to get the picture of a time bomb that's waiting to explode. Okay? It's ticking. And it has a very short fuse. And when it explodes, you know it. It is rebellion. Doors are slamming. Fists are pumping. Words are being said. Uh, they're going out. You know, that's, what, that's the picture I want you to get. Now we're going to move to Colossians. Colossians 3.21. And here the warning is real simple. Don't provoke them to bitter resentment. So you've got angry rebellion, and you've got bitter resentment. Those are the ideas by how you raise and relate to them. Notice what it says, again, in Colossians 3.21. It says, Do not provoke your children... Lest they become discouraged. Lest they lose heart. The emphasis in Colossians 3.21 is not them acting out. It's them giving up on the inside. Are you with me? So, one is angry rebellion. The other is bitter resentment. So, one is active, the other is passive. So, where before, Angry Rebellion, you're looking at a time bomb that's ticking and it's going to explode and your kids act out, here you're looking at a silent, a, a slow simmer that is a silent killer. Your kids aren't going to act out as much as inside they're going to give up. I give up. You've provoked me so much, you've irritated, frustrated me, aggravated me, so much, I, I surrender, I give up, and they may not tell you. Are you with me? And It all is based on their personalities. So some act out like a time bomb and some are passive like a silent, just I give up and I lose heart. One's active, one's passive. Our kids will either give up or act out if we provoke them. And here's the bottom line: Don't Thoughtlessly aggravate your kids. Don't unnecessarily goad them, push their buttons. Don't deliberately ex- exasperate them. Don't foolishly discourage them. But express your love to them and relate to them and raise them with gentleness, kindness, consideration, and respect. When we say man up, dads, and don't, above, that's what we're talking about. Now let me, one disclaimer, let me make a little disclaimer here. Paul's not suggesting that every time your kids are angry, it's your fault. Okay? So, you know, you can all, okay. So every time our kids get angry, that does not necessarily mean we have sinned and we're responsible. Obviously, children can and do get angry, and it's sin. You know, remember, it says be angry and sin not. Well, sometimes they just get angry and they sin, and it's their responsibility. And let me say this. Paul is not excusing kids here either, regardless of the circumstances. Children have a duty to honor their parents regardless of whether they provoke them or not. Because what comes before 6-4 is 6-1-3. Children, obey your parents and honor them in the Lord. So ultimately, our kids, if our if, if, let's say, you know, if, if our kids are provoked to anger... They're going to have to answer that to the Lord. They're not going to be able to say, well, my dad provoked me. My mom provoked me. You don't understand. No. One of the hardest lessons for even us adults to learn is that regardless of how people provoke me, I'm responsible for my response. Okay? Big lesson to learn. You know what? What I needed to tell you, I needed to tell you because, you know, you've made me angry, but I don't have to tell you in an angry way. I don't have to act out, and I don't have to give up. Nevertheless, what Paul is saying in this verse, what God is saying to us is this, that parents who sin in this way of provoking their kids are doubly guilty, and here's why. They're not only guilty of provoking their kids, but they're guilty of causing their kids then to respond in a rebellious or resentful manner. Now, let me real quickly give you what are the consequences of provoking our kids in this way. Man, this is so. I mean, I, I, I want you to. I, I, I want you to freeze in your tracks. I want you. I want the hair on the back of your neck to stand up as we talk about these three consequences. I'm just going to go through them quickly. They're in Ephesians 4. Remember how I said this anger word is used in Ephesians 4. Be angry and sin not. And do not let the sun go down in wrath. Well, in Ephesians 4, 27-31, here's the three consequences of a child provoked. First of all, number one, it gives ground to the devil. It gives ground to the devil in their heart. It says, give no opportunity to the devil. You see, when we provoke our kids to anger, that anger in their heart is a place where a beachhead for Satan to then take control of their lives gives ground to the devil. And you know what's ironic about this? Often the reason we're provoking our kids is because we have undealt with anger issues, and the devil has a beachhead in our heart, and we're passing that anger on. Remember what Randy shared with us the previous, uh, that's exactly what was happening. Someone provoked you to anger, you had anger, and now that anger is being passed on to your kids, and you had to break the chain. Number two, it grieves the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, he goes on in this passage in Ephesians 4, and he says, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only such as good for the building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's a great verse on how not to provoke your kids. But then he says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. Listen, you want to give Satan a foothold and squelch the working of the Holy Spirit in your kids, then provoke them to anger. And number three, it grows a root of bitterness. It grows a root of bitterness. As you read down through Ephesians 4, you come to verse 31 where it says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with you, from you along with all malice. And then Hebrews 12, 14 12, 14 through 17 talks about Esau. And remember, the root of bitterness is not something that's just in the heart, it's the person themselves. And wherever they go, they spread bitterness. And, and, and this is a great problem in the workplace, is a great problem in our churches. People come who come in who have been provoked to anger by their parents who now have given foothold to the devil in their lives, the spirit is quenched, and then they come into the church, and they expect everything's going to be made right, and they spread that root of bitterness throughout. If you really want to study this out, you look at Jacob and Esau. And a lot of the issues in Jacob and Esau's lives were a result of Isaac and Rachel provoking them to anger due to favoritism. So, there you go. Now, let's get down to the real heart, the question you want to answer. How do I avoid provoking as a dad, as a parent, or even a spouse? How do I avoid? Well, you've got to depend on the Lord. What I'm going to give you are nine nine characteristics that you want in your parenting. But please understand, you cannot do this in the power of the flesh. How do I know that? It says, do not provoke your kids to anger, but train them in the nurture of an admonition of the Lord. So, I'm going to give you these nine things. But if you do it in the power of the flesh, and not in the power of the Lord, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might, then, you know, it, it, it's Mormonism. It's just moralism. Nine things to do. So, you've got to do this in the Lord. But, you do need to do this. So, here we go. Number one. Man up and be patient with your kids. Man up and be patient with with your kids. You provoke kids to anger with anger. Don't be domineering. Don't be demanding. Don't be impatient. Don't be irritable. Don't let your famous words be, because I said so. See, that's what in, 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 See, that's a, a statement of impatience. I don't want to explain to you. I don't want to take the time to listen to you and explain to you, I said so. That settles it. Now go do it. You've got an angry kid. Here, here, here's what you need, what we need to do. Let your motor idle when you feel like stripping your gear. Okay? Let your motor idle. Be patient. Be patient. As a man and as a leader, it's easy to become demanding and domineering. In fact, that's most of what we get in the workplace, right? Often, that's what we get in the workplace. And unfortunately, what do we do? We bring that, we bring that home. Some men sound more like generals than fathers when they talk to their kids. People always prefer being asked rather than being told anything, including our kids. Would you agree? Dads, do a heart check, and you may need your spouse to help you with this. When's the last time you said thank you to your kids? When's the last time you said please at home? And I I know we sometimes struggle with this because I see it in ourselves. We don't use that with us each other sometimes. Please and thank you. Huge. Even your kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So, man up and be patient. Number two, dads, man up and be prudent. Remember George Bush Sr.? It wouldn't be the prudent thing to do. I can't even him. It wouldn't be prudent. It wouldn't be prudent. Prudent's a great word, but not one used in our day. And you can tell. Because there's a lack of balance in our debt. Let me give you a definition of prudence. It's really basic. It's the proper balance in light of the situation. In light of the situation and the people involved, the prudent thing, the proper balance, that's what I'm talking about. Prudent means striking the proper balance and using the proper measure. Don't be unfair. Don't be unjust. Don't be extreme. And here's the reality. Just because you're the God-given leader in the home, just because you have the authority from God, doesn't mean you need to use your full authority every time you speak. Alright? Make sense? Overkill does just what it says. It kills. Especially in the area of discipline. So the biggest place you want to look at is, am am, am I seeing the proper measure in my discipline? Now, let me tell you, proper balance means this. Immediately, when we talk about balance, what do we think of? Well, let me ask you, what do you think of? When you think of the proper balance and discipline, some of you probably immediately think, I'm being too what? Hard. I'm being too hard. And yet, it's not prudent if you're being too soft. And those are the extremes. You see, when you hear man up and and don't provoke your kids to anger, some of us think about the video and say, I need to be nice. I need to be real nice. Because if I'm nice, my kids will always like me and never be angry at me. Wrong. Always being nice just to be their friend and being too soft will create just as much, and I would even venture to say, more anger than being too hard. Both are extremes that you want to avoid. So, here's the point. Don't require the death penalty for every offense in your kids' lives. Alright? I know some of you, you don't want to talk to them, right? Don't do that. On the other hand, don't explain away everything they do as a minor offense. Ah, sorry. Right. Kids will be kids. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. It's okay. They'll grow out of it. Be prudent. Dads, man up and be prudent. Be fair, be just, be merciful in the right measure, and you will be less likely to provoke your kids. Number three, man up and be predictable. This is a huge one. Be predictable. Be predictable. Don't be inconsistent. Don't be unstable. See, the key to being prudent, prudence results in predictability. You see, when you have the proper balance, then when, when 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 things are tough, I know he's going to be tough. When things are minor, I know he's going to treat it as a minor. I can just predict how my dad's going to respond, and it's going to be balanced. Yeah, some of you. There was a. I love Turner Turner Classic Movies, so I know all the oldies. But uh, guess who's coming to dinner? Well, that's more than a Sydney 48 movie. It's what many kids wonder: Who's coming through that door? When dad arrives home. Who's coming to dinner today, dad? The dad that kicks the dog and yells at me? Or the dad that takes the dog for the walk and hugs and loves on me? And sometimes it's the best, same person, and it's different in 24 hours. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Which is it going to be today? That shouldn't be the case in our homes. Some kids feel like Helen Keller when you keep moving the furniture in the home home. Okay? I thought it was like this. I thought it was like this. It's so funny right now. I mean, we're having like, like oh, it seems like a hundred, it's a half a dozen or more projects being done in our house. We live in the same house for 22 years, and on a, on a, a small budget, you, you put off things, and then there comes the day. And now they're all being done in a 30-day period. My doctors run around the house at 13. Everything's changing. Everything's changing. Is that because nothing's changed for twenty years, dear? It's it's all changing right now. It'll be fine. We'll we'll get on the other side. Of it. Okay. Well, there was a study done. You know, you've all heard of Pavlov and his behavior behavior modification experiments. Well, he did a behavior modification with dogs, and so there would be food on the other side of this this uh, drawer that this door that would pop up, and there would be food. So the dogs, the bell would ring, the door would open, and there would be treats. And if your dog's like my dog, I mean, that is, we can't get that dog to do anything, but we can get it to do everything for a treat, right? And so the bell would ring and they would go. Well, what Pavlov did then was put a fire hose instead of food. So the bell would ring, the door would go up, the dog would get all excited, go charging through the door, and get a face full of water. And then he began to alternate it, food or water. Now, what happened to the dog? Well, what happened to the dog? That bell would ring, and that dog would be frozen with fear and trembling. Ah, no, ah, ah! what do I, what, what, what do I, paralyzed. Now, I don't, dogs don't have feelings like humans, but if that you do that to a kid, they're going to get angry. They're going to get bitter, and they're going to do one of two the things. They're going to act out and say, who's ringing that bell? I'm going to go bite them. Or they're just going to give up. And it's the same way with our kids. Now, four areas that we need to be predictable in. You can just jot these down. Four areas to be predictable in. You know, you say, well, where do I need to be predictable? Here's four. Number one, discipline. Discipline is probably the most important area to be predictable in. Your kids ought to know what they do, what they do that will get in trouble, what's going to happen when they get in trouble, and why it's going to happen, and that ought to be consistent. And when you don't, lower the boom on them, you tell them why I am teaching you what mercy is. You're not going to get what you deserve today. Or, you give them a reward that they don't deserve, and you say this is grace, but you don't just do it and and here's the biggest thing that I had. When Amber was young, the biggest lesson I learned about being consistent and disciplined is it is tiring, hard work. You start out energized, and then you're, you're overboard early on. Then it gets... It gets tiresome, and then when it's most needed, you're, you're you're starting to go the other. You're not prudent, and you're starting to go too soft. Discipline number two: promises. Don't make them if you don't keep them. Better not to make promises than to make them and not keep them. You've got to be predictable. Hey, I know this is going to be happened because God, because Dad promised, and your kids will help you with this. All right, they're great helpers, but you promise. Yeah, you're right, I do. Number three is lifestyle. This is huge. you got to be predictable in your lifestyle. In other words, one of the greatest things that's going to anger your kids is hypocrisy. Where you do one thing at church and you live another way at home. That's not predictable. They ought to say, Dad's the same at home as he is in church. And I know we got all three boys here, Bruce Todd and, and uh, Troy, and, and, and they all said, you know, or at least I think I've heard you all say, that your dad was very, not perfect, uh, certainly not sinless, but predictable. He, he, he was a man of integrity. That's what we want our children to say. Kids smell hypocrisy a mile away, and the reason they do it, they, they see it with 2020 vision in our home. See, the one person, the kids that know more than anything our, our integrity, it's our kids, because they see us at all the wrong times. Right? So somehow I want to work in Kyla's. Uh, postman cleaning Facebook report that I can't work with. So. But it was fun. What'd she say? We got to clean up the house? Said, I always have to clean. I always have to clean. Then she imitated Dana and said, oh, the postman's coming. We, we've got cl- we to everything. polish everything. We have to polish the house. <laughs> All right, I cracked up on that. Number th- four, relationships. Let me just give you one quickie on this relationship. And this is a hard one. Do you treat strangers better than you do your kids? In other words, are you more polite, more considerate, more patient, more level-headed with strangers than with your kids? Now, this is a funny thing. I won't go too far with this or I'll get in trouble. But, but, uh, you know, Gwen and I will have a wonderful conversation going on in our home. The phone rings, right? You know, voices are tense. Things are tense. Volume is up. Phone rings. Hello? Hello? Okay. okay, always cracks me up. Just, you know, I just—I'm just waiting one day for Gwen to go. What do you want? You know. <laughs> but it, you know, it's just fun. I just—it's just, i always laugh every time. I, mean, I do it too. Just... All right, number four, dads, man up and be personal. Dads, man up and be personal. Treat each child as unique and special. Here's the big one on this. Favoritism provokes kids to rebellion and resentment. Don't play favorites and here's the killer phrase why can't you be more like your your brother, your sister, your cousin, your nephew, the neighbor across the street doesn't matter don't say those things and don't imply and here's the problem with us Christians. We know not to say it, so we find other creative ways of implying it. And that's the biggest thing about Christians, that you have to watch yourself on. Oh, I know that's wrong, so I won't say it, but here, I'll do it this way. Oh, look at what Johnny has done. Susie, isn't that good? We should affirm her, shouldn't we? Wish we could affirm you, but we can't. So, get going. (laughs) Don't force your kids to become something they are not in order to win your approval. It develops competition between siblings and attention in marriage. Again, if you want to study a biblical example of this, Jacob Esau, that whole issue falls mostly at the feet of Isaac and Rachel for favoritism, favoring one, and here you go. Now, how are we tempted to do this? The same way they were. So let's look at it. Let me give you five ways we're tempted to do this. Number one, according to interests. It's easy to favor the kid who is most like you. Okay? It's just easy to do that. You're like me. We like these things. And pretty soon you're spending more time. You're talking with them more. You're interacting with them more. Why? Because it's easier. See, so much of this goes back to hard work. Parenting is hard work. You know, you watch some of these shows on TV, and that's safe because we're not talking about anybody here, and I'm not talking about anybody here, but, you know, people that want kids. Like it's some like like they want a new car, you know. Like somehow I get this kid, and my life's going to be fulfilled. Really? Yeah. You 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 just signed up for the hardest duty on the planet, and you better be ready to be rejected, neglected, forgotten, and all of that. All right. The seasoned parents are going to have a, a, a net broken at the end of this service, which is good. So it means I'm I'm hitting hitting the right. Easy to favor the child that likes what I like. According to gender, oh, it's easy for men to favor the the boys or maybe even favor the opposite sex. You can't pin this all down, but sometimes we favor one or the other because of gender. I never forget working with the Koreans' uh, youth ministry during seminary. There was a man who wanted, in Asian culture, boys are highly valued, sons are highly valued, you want a boy. And they were going to have kids until they had them, and they had five girls. I mean, finally, and I don't know what twisted thinking this was, he started naming the girls Korean boys' names. You know, As I don't know what that was going to do. Picked out the uh, you know, anyway. But he had five, if not five, then three definite, resentful young ladies. Who wanted to be valued for what? For what they were. Your daughter. Your daughter. And then, according to personality, opposites attack and attract. You know, sometimes we favor one because of their personality. Because it's the opposite of ours, or it's similar to ours, and, and, and genders can have conflict. You know, uh, moms, you can say something that dad can say, and he can get away with it. It doesn't provoke to anger. You can't say that. you got to figure that out. And it takes God's wisdom. Man, dad's man up. Let's be personal with our kids. Age and birth order is another thing. It's easy to overlook the middle child in favor of the firstborn, our first pride and joy, or the baby, the baby of the family. And forget, you got one, two, or three in between there that need equal amounts of attention and care. Number five, dads, man up and be present. Be present. Don't be absent or neglectful. Don't be a NASCAR dad who thinks you can raise your kids with eight-minute pit stops. But if you're not careful, you'll run over your kids in order to win the rap race. I showed some, uh, you can go on YouTube and look at uh, pit stop, pit, uh, NASCAR or Formula One uh, pit stops. Very intriguing, some really amazing stuff. That is not a job you want unless you have great insurance. They run over those guys all the time. And sometimes when we try to rush in and do things as an absentee dad, let me read you one illustration. Most anger in kids is often a result of an absentee dad. And let me just say this. You don't have to be gone a lot to be an absentee dad. You can be home every night and be an absentee dad because you're passive and not interacting with your kids. But I want to talk to you about uh, Chuck Swindoll and his two boys. There was a Christian magazine article that revealed the inside struggles of Kurt and Chuck Swindoll Jr., the sons of... Uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll, and what was it like to grow up with a celebrity dad for a pastor? And in this telling interview, the question was asked, did you ever feel that you were being let down by a father who was too busy to spend time with you? And the younger of the two sons, Chuck Jr., answered with a lot of transparency and honesty. And here's what he said. He said, I felt an increasing amount of bitterness. Are you hearing this? Bitterness. I felt like I was important. I wasn't important enough for Dad to spend time with me. Looking back, I feel like he often chose his work rather than me. It made me angry, provoked, and I did not want to be around him. Driven away. Do you see the answers to that? Do you see what's happening? And Doctor Swindoll honestly said, "I say with the great sadness today and that I wish I had changed more. I regret that I did not make some major changes so I could spend more time with them, guys." It's all relative. Now, let me say this. Don't react. You know, Some of you are going to quit your job. Some of you are going to re- resign from every ministry in this church. And you're going to justify it on this point, and you're going to be wrong. Billy Graham was gone all the time. And it didn't create that kind of resentment and that kind of anger. It's relative to the dad. Some dads can do more with little than others' dad. And it's relative to the kids. Sometimes, some kids, I'm okay with that. And other kids, I'm not okay with that. And so you you've got to know that situation. And the idea is, we're always sometimes we're eager to cut out the church before we're willing to cut out our favorite sitcom. We're willing to cut out our ministry before we cut out our Facebook stuff. We're willing to cut out what's really important before we cut out what's not so what's not sin but not so important. Am I communicating? See, here's the deal. It it, it kills me, it grieves me, it breaks my heart. When I see parents who want their kids to be godly, and then they don't make church and ministry a priority, you cannot put God first and put the church third, fourth, and fifth in your life. And so the biggest thing is get your kids involved in ministry with you, and get involved in, in where they're ministering or how they're ministering, and help them with it. Anyway, there's more in there. Number six, dads, man up and be positive. Be positive. Don't be negative. Don't be critical. For every negative, you need five to seven positives. I think you guys know this stuff. I will tell you this. This is an amazing study. A study was done surveying kids across America. And in a survey of hundreds of kids, these scientists or sociologists came up with the three things fathers say most in responding to their kids. Are you ready? You could probably come up here. Number one, I'm too tired. Number two, we don't have enough money. And number three, keep quiet. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying those three things. The problem is that's what they heard most. I mean, can you imagine? I just, I imagine myself in a coffin, and Amber standing over my coffin and said, boy, you always said he was tired, and we didn't have enough money, and to be quiet. I love that. I'm going to miss you. You know, rather than, than saying things like, I love you, I believe in you. I mean, one of the things we have said to our, we are so glad God gave you to us, and that you're our daughter. I always kid, Amber, you're my favorite daughter. She always says, Dad, I'm your only one. I said, good thing you're my favorite.
1: Okay? And
0: so they need to hear that kind of stuff. All right? And please understand that when you're building your kid up, you need to build other people up in front of your kids. You know, tearing down people at work, uh, one of the saddest things I do remember about my dad is that we'd sit at dinner and he'd just complain about work. And, you know, and, and that, that, that wasn't everything about him, but you know, that's just not a memory I like having. And it's certainly not one that I want my daughter to have. Number seven, dad's man up and be pliable. Be pliable. What was that green Gumby? Be a Gumby. You know, you gotta be Gumby. Okay, be pliable. Don't be rigid. Don't be too narrow, too protecting. What are some areas? Overprotection, rigid legalism. Everybody has to line up and be just like me. Major on the majors, minor on the minors. You know what that means. Number eight, dads, man up and be playful. Dads, man up and be playful. That's self explanatory, but some of you need to button. You know, loosen the collar. It's called carpet time. It's called wrestling. And listen, you establish this young. I mean, I I, I, I have a 13 year old. I do not understand anything that's going on in, in this area right now. But she asked to wrestle the other day, and uh, and I had to say, not right now, not this moment. But I, I, I got to get some wrestling time in here coming up. I don't know what that's going to be like. It's going to be weird. You got to watch it, but. That comes from early on. That's from That comes from a woman, a young lady becoming a woman, saying, I still want to connect with my dad. And she doesn't quite probably know how to do it like she used to this book. Don't be too serious, too distant. Play with them on their level, their terms, and at their events. Live, laugh, and love. Number nine, dads, man up and be proactive. Dads, man up and be proactive. Get a plan. Now, that's my, my, my goal today was to help you with a plan and a purpose. Now, first of all, two things you can do purposefully, practically, man up and be practical. First of all, find out if you're provoking your kids. You say, how do I do that? Number one way is what? Ask them. Just ask them. And... You might be surprised. So I obviously applied this lesson. I had to do that. So I asked that, and I was just surprised. And I bet you you would be surprised at what Amber would say, the first thing she would say. And I don't think I'm going to share that because it's really of your business. And more importantly, she's 13, and for me to have any interaction on stuff like this, I have to make certain – I have to sign – you know, disclosure things, and and uh, so, are you going to share that, Dad? But I'm telling you, I was surprised. It wasn't the things that I would think, that maybe you would think, maybe my wife wasn't surprised, but I was surprised. And I will say this to the glory of God, and, and I am thankful that it wasn't anything major. It wasn't anything major. It doesn't mean there aren't major things. A 13 year old isn't the most perceptive. That's why you have others things on here. Number two, listen to your spouse. They'll tell you. Follow the leading of the Spirit. Get along with God with this lesson and say, Holy Spirit, convict me on which of these nine I'm weak in. And then look for signs of active rebellion or passive bitter resentment. How do you do this? Well, when you do something to your kids, check their countenance. If they, if they grimace, that's bad. Okay. Unless you're telling them to clean up their room. Monitor their moods, regard their responses, observe their body language. There's all sorts of ways to look for this stuff. Now, once you figure out that you are provoking, and probably all of us are in some areas, then it's time to man up and stop doing it. Now, I've laid out for you four simple steps. I don't have to walk you through that. It's it's self-explanatory. Look at it and do it, men. But do all four steps. But I want to end with this. What if I provoked my dad? As a daughter, as a son. Take these same four steps, and you as a child, even as a grown adult child, look and ask yourself, maybe they provoke me, but maybe my response back provoked them. And get it right. And I get it right today, and if you don't do it today, then do it this week. Dads, moms, go to your kids, ask forgiveness for provoking, and be specific. Sons, daughters, go to God, go to your parents if they're alive, and ask forgiveness for provoking them. Let's get that right, and and to do it, you got to man up. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful that your grace is sufficient. And that in the Lord, we can learn to not do these things. First of all, we can learn from you what we are doing, which is a marvelous thing. The heart is deceitfully wicked, and we are easily deceived, and we blame shift, and we justify like Adam and Eve in the garden so much. I'm as guilty of that as anyone. And yet, Lord, your grace, you cut through all that, and you show us who we are, and who we are created to be, and who you save us to be. And so I pray for every parent here to take a hard look, And that we would not make the mistake of provoking our kids. And then I pray, Lord, for us as sons and daughters. Maybe there's some work to be done while our parents are still alive. And if they're not alive, the work can still be done because you're our Heavenly Father. So I pray that today's lesson has been helpful, practical, and life-changing. By God's grace, for the glory of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen.